Hey, everybody. Hi. Good. It sounds like you guys are having the best time. The best time. That's so good. Hey, do me a favor. I don't know if you know, I don't know if you know this, but adults were not meant to go without this little of sleep. Uh, so could you just give a round of applause for your leaders and your youth pastors? I, someday, someday, I hope, I hope, and I hope it's sooner than just someday, you'll appreciate the sacrifice they've made to have you all up here to make sure you're safe, to make sure you're cared for, to make sure you're loved and seen and heard. Uh, someday, I hope that you really, really understand what they've sacrificed to be here. So kudos to you leaders, uh, kudos to you youth pastors who continue to sacrifice on behalf of kids. It's awesome. Um, I was a youth pastor, I, I told you, uh, of junior hires. My very first youth group was in a place called Gurney, Illinois, because I graduated from Moody Bible Institute, uh, which is in Chicago. And uh, I took my first youth pastorate job up in uh, this, this uh, Swedish Baptist church. It was a larger church, but Swedish Baptist church. And I came in thinking, like, I got to prove something, right? Like, I'm a, it was a kind of a dying junior high, and, and I was in there to kind of be the new blood and to bring life back into it. And so I was all pumped up. I was like, I got to do something awesome. And so I started planning and thinking, and I had my volunteer teams, and we came up with this awesome, like, game night, fun night. And I had come up in my brain with the most amazing game of all time that was going to draw in all the kids. So here's what the game was, okay? Super epic. Uh, the game was you basically take uh, 100 beach balls and you blow them up and you put them in the center of the gym. Like our youth room was like basically a gymnasium. And so you blow them all up. You have four corners. You divide all the kids up into four corners, right? And I thought this would be cool. And then the idea was is that you would run to the middle, grab the balls, and then pull them to the corners. And then you'd have assassins that could like go around and like pop the balloons. And the person at the end of the game who had the most ball, uh, 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 volleyballs or, what, or beach balls in their corner they win. Okay, so that was it. I was like, this is epic, and it's going to be so great, and the leaders thought it was great, and then I was like, we got to one-up this thing. You know, we got to do it right. So I decided that the moment that uh, we would that the moment that we would have them run to the middle, I'd turn all the lights out. I would put strobe lights on, and I would play the most loud, like, screamo music that you could ever imagine. It was just going to be this epic thing. So all the kids are amped, I mean, imagine, I told you about junior high boys. So junior high boys are like, Rah! right? And I was like, on the count of three, who wants to win? It was, right? On the count of three, everybody's going to run in the middle and grab these beach balls. It's going to be amazing. Three, two, right? The music, the lights go down, strobe lights on, go. Music's all the way up. And the moment that I, I said go, I realized I had made a very, very, very bad mistake. Because junior high boys don't have the, oh, this could be dangerous. They have this, ah, run to the, they were running at full tilt. All the kids just ran to the middle like, right, and smash, and bodies were flying, and kids were laying on the ground. 
I'm not even kidding. A, a girl walked up to me and she was like, or a guy walked up to me. He's like, oh, I hit somebody, right? One girl, her head had a gash in it. She's bleeding all over the floor, right? One kid walks up to me. He's like, I don't feel right. And I like, what happened? He goes, I hit somebody. And he opened up his hands like this and his teeth were through the front of his lip. And I was like, and he was like, is it bad? I was like, no, it's cool, man. It's totally cool. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. So we're having to call parents. We're having to call the ambulance. So the paramedics are showing up. There's blood all over the gym. And I'm like, what happened? Oh my gosh. In my mind, it was so epic. It was going to be great. And they're just bodies laid out, bandages. It looked like a war, war, like a civil war, like medic camp all in the corners. My leaders are looking at me like, what were you thinking? I was like, I thought it was going to be epic. I thought it was going to be awesome. Like, so if your youth pastor comes up with an idea that just be like, I'm not going to do it, bro. Not going to do it. But here's the interesting thing is I think a sin is a lot like that. It sounds all good in our heads and everything's going to be fine. It's all going to work out. But actually sin is destructive and it's deep inside of all of that, all of us. And the problem is, and there's a very significant problem. The problem is this. We all think we're fine. We think we're okay, like we're good to go, like everything's fine, like everything's working out just like me, everything's fine, everything's gonna be amazing, it's all gonna work out, or even worse, we think like, look, it'll all balance out in the end, right? I'll just do a bunch of good stuff, I'll help an old lady across the street, and then everything will be fine, I'll volunteer with my youth group, I'll actually read my Bible maybe once or twice in my lifetime, like, and then and when I get to heaven, like it'll all balance out, and he's like, well, you weren't that bad, or, 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 you know, you, you, you did some really good stuff. So I think it all kind of balances out. And I think we try to play these games with sin, except it doesn't work that way. Listen to this passage in Isaiah. Isaiah 64, 6. And just in case you were wondering how this whole thing works out, Isaiah 64, 6 says this. Listen. All of us, all of us, that's, he's not leaving anybody out. All of us have become like the one who is unclean. All of our righteous acts are as filthy rags. We are all shriveled up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Here's something I want you to, to, to stick in your head. We have nothing to offer God. We have nothing to come before a holy God and say, look at all my good deeds. Look, I've been a good person. We have nothing to barter with with God. He is not like some mobster, gang mobster. That we, he's not like a shyster that we can make deals with. I'll do a bunch of good on this side. And as a result of that, then you just give me blessing in heaven on this side. It doesn't work that way. Isaiah says, all of us, all of your good deeds, all of them are as filthy rags before a holy, holy, holy God. This same Isaiah said, I'm a man Listen, this is going to be really important right here, right here. This is going to be really important. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live amongst a people who are unclean. The same man is recognizing, wait, something is wrong. There's a depravity in each and every one of us. And we need to talk about this. We need to address this. We talked about the woman of the well who day after day after day after day keeps coming out to the well. And Jesus exposes her sin, shows her that he is the Messiah come to rescue. He loved her so much, 
to wake her up, to expose her to her sin. Today, tonight, I hope to do that. I hope to awaken you to your own sin, to your own depravity, my depravity. You and I, guess what? I'm not some holy dude up here. I don't have it all put together. I got stuff. I got stuff I repent. I got mentors. I got counselors that I meet with and talk with because I got stuff. I'm a sinner. And we need to deal with that because you can't understand good news if you can't deal with the bad news. And the bad news is this. All of us and all of our, our deeds are as filthy rags before a holy, holy God. And what we learned week one was this way. Well, what do we do? Well, guess what? Truth exists. Why? Because God is it. So we had to go all the way back to the beginning to find that out. He's the uncreated creator. And then what happened? The word became flesh and what? Moved into the neighborhood. He moved into the neighborhood. Truth moved into the neighborhood. And what we learned yesterday was that truth, like the eagle, swept in. And he met this woman at a well and he called her out. She's so tethered to earth, she can only think about satisfying her craving for, for water. And he's going, but I want to bring you eternal life. I want to give you so much more. As he feeds the 5,000, he goes, I want to give you way more than bread. I want to give you myself. But we are so addicted to the temporal, we cannot see the eternal. And it's what Jesus, the eagle, is swooping in. He's spending time with us and helping us see who he is. But look, we've got to know who we are. We got to discern who we are. We got to get real and honest with who we are and what is really going on in our lives. And that's what Jesus is doing. And by the way, if you're tracking in John, if you're reading with us, man, people don't know what to do with Jesus. They're trying to figure him out and they can't discern it. And so they're, they're wanting to murder him. He's talking like crazy talk, at least to the Jewish mind. He and the father are one. And when he speaks, the father speaks and they just want to kill him. They want to kill him. They can't discern whether he's a prophet. Is he a Messiah? Is he a heretic? And they're just, people don't know what to do. And then we, have, we come to chapter 8. And chapter 8 is this really beautiful moment where the eagle once again comes in near. And he's like this. Check this out. Look what God does. Look what God does. Look what, how God deals with people. Okay, this is what he's wanting to awaken to. Look at how God says. Okay, so chapter eight, verse two, get there with me. Chapter John eight, chapter two, it says this. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. He's been teaching in the temple. He's got mixed reviews on that one. Uh, they're, they're, they're not whether to stone him or worship him. They're, they're really struggling through that. So he goes to the temple. All the people came with him and sat down to be taught. At this point, Jesus is getting a lot of attention. And uh, then it says, The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her. I want you to see this scene in your mind. Sometimes with the Bible, we just kind of go, oh, it's a cute little story. No, no, no. Like, get it in your head. They're in church, and then they drag this woman in church, okay? They, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious, the pastors of this community, brought a woman who had been caught into adultery and placing her in their midst, they said to him, teacher, 
This woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they may have some charge to bring against him. And I want you to see Jesus' reaction. Is he defensive? No, no, no. Just calm. Jesus bent down, and he wrote with his finger in the ground. And as they continue to ask him, you can hear, they're just hitting him with questions. Come on, rabbi. Come on, teacher. What do you think? And it's almost like they're like, come on, I bet you, what what are you going to say about this? What are you going to do? Everyone's watching you. Jesus just is writing in the ground. And he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw the stone at her. And once more, he bent down and he wrote in the ground. This scene is a really important scene for me. When I was 12 years old, I told you I grew up in the church my whole life. My mom was like super mom. She was the best. She's kind of the mom. Like, you know, you go to the like, bus stop. We had bus stops back in the day. And uh, she used to bring like cookies. You know, like, she was like mom, mom made all, all the meals, homemade bread. Like, she was the deal. She was a worship leader. She led women's Bible studies. And when I was 12 years old, she had an affair on one of my dad's friends. I, and again, I told you, I grew up in the same church. My parents helped launch that church. So this tight-knit community that I've been a part of my whole life, my mom is now the center of all the gossip that is happening. I remember people coming up to me and go, you know your mom's done wrong. You know your mom's a sinner. I'm like, that's my mom. My mom was shamed by our church. My mom was shamed by my Christian school. I had teachers who would pull me aside and say, you know what your mom did is wrong. Like you need to tell her she needs to repent. So this story hits home for me. This isn't about just some lady, some random lady. This is my mom. And I saw my mom go through this. I saw her get shamed for her adultery. And my mom left. I remember coming home from school one day and she pulled every single thing out of her closet and she moved. We lived in Ohio. I told you no one should live in Ohio, but we lived in Ohio and she moved to uh, North Carolina and my dad raised me. And so this story hits home for me. Maybe it hits home for some of you. Maybe this is a part of some of your story and let's make it real for us. Like this is a really tragic scene we're seeing here. Because they're using this woman. They're bringing her in and going, look, Jesus, look how evil and vile and horrible she is. And Jesus, you know the law. I mean, imagine how embarrassing this whole scene is for this woman. And has she sinned? 100%. Has she sinned? But they're using her. They're using her to get to Jesus. And they're making a point of her. You know, the rabbis used to say at this, at this time, so just so you know, what they did wasn't uncommon, but it used to be said this, every rabbi said this, every Jew must die before he will commit adultery, uh, uh, murder, or, or, or it, uh, idolatry, murder, or adultery. And she got caught in the act. And so they, what they were saying is, bring this woman to justice and stone her in front of everybody. Hey, Jesus, What are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about this? And she was trapped. 
She can't negotiate, and she didn't negotiate. In fact, she was just kind of like, I did it. What am I? I'm, I'm stuck. And a lot of times that's what happens with sin. Not a lot of times. Every time that's where sin puts you. You are stuck. You cannot make a defense for yourself. You cannot stand before God and you can't go, but I did this and I did this and I did this and look at how good I did this. And I read my Bible once and I went to youth group and I went to church. It doesn't work that way. You don't get to plead your case before God because of a bunch of good deeds you've done. It doesn't work that way. Sin doesn't work that way. I need to make this clear. It's so important you understand Sin is separation from God. We did this. We continue to do this every day. This woman cannot plead a case. And here's the other crazy thing about this particular story. Again, the, 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 the Pharisees are using this woman to trick Jesus. They're using her as a tool they have this sense, these religious people have a sense of moral authority. They're in just as much sin as this woman is. They're like, look, we're good and she's bad. And so we want her to be, to be put on trial here. And here's what they're doing to Jesus. They're going to Jesus. They're going to say, hey, we're going to see what Jesus does. Because we want to challenge Jesus. We, we want to come up against him so we can bring charges against him. And here's what, here's what they were kind of going after. If he were to say, stone her. And Jesus were like, you know what, you're right. She's a sinner, stoner. Then he would lose. Jesus would have lost his reputation for being loving and merciful. And hasn't that been what we've seen from Jesus? Just loving and merciful. Isn't that what we saw at the woman at the well? Loving and merciful. What you see when he heals the blind man at the pool. Loving and merciful. Loving and merciful. They were trying to challenge that. If he had said, yeah, stoner, then that would come up against that. Number two, that he would come into conflict with Roman law, which took the power of decision of death as a penalty away, right? It's basically going, he comes up now against the Roman law, like, hey, now we hand him over to Rome. This is great. Or third, they assume he would just say, your sins are forgiven, and he would reject the law of Moses. They're trying to trap Jesus. Here's what's happening with these religious people. They have a category. There's good people and there's bad people. And like so many people we keep talking about in the story, they're missing it. They're missing it. They're missing the sin that's in their own lives. I think so many of you, so many of us miss how toxic sin is because we're not willing to be honest with ourselves. I've had, mo I've had uh, two teenagers. I've brought two teenagers up in my home. And let me tell you one thing about teenagers. You all have an ability to not find stuff. It's unbelievable. It, it's like, it's honestly like, it'll be like, hey, Coop, could you go get that thing out of the closet? And he'll just be like this. It's not in there. It, it's, not, it's not in there. And I'm like, no, I know it's in there. Could you just go, go, go look? It's not. I looked. I didn't do it. This is what you guys do. I don't even understand it. Do you know that your parents, like, they literally have jobs where they provide for your every need, and they just ask you to go find the toilet paper, and you're like, it's not there. I don't see it anywhere, right? This is what, it's mind-blowing. And so I go like, no, like, son, you got to move some stuff, all right? You got to be like, oh, there it is. Oh, there it is, dad. Oh, my gosh. Why don't you guys learn how to do this? It's crazy, right? This is the religious they, they, they just completely miss Jesus because all their attention is on something else. And what Jesus is trying to address in them is the real problem. The real problem. What Jesus is saying, he's kind of, he, this is what, how Matthew would say it. He's like, he's, Matthew says it like this. 
Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? Isn't it so much easier to see other people's sin? You got kids in your youth group, right, who do stuff that maybe they swear, maybe they watch stuff they're not supposed to watch, maybe they hang out with all the wrong people, maybe they do some stuff. And isn't it easy in your groups and in your school to just point at those kids and go, they're so bad. Look how bad they are. Meanwhile, just heads up, holy cow, what's this thing? Whoa, what's going on? This is exactly what, like, you can't see how sinful you really are. And you're pointing your finger at them is just evidence of how sinful you really are because you're not willing to really analyze how sinful you really are how desperate for the Lord you really are, how depraved, listen, how depraved you really are. And we tend to put sin in categories. There's really good people and there's really bad people, except that the whole of scripture is gonna go, that's not true. That's not true. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, none are righteous, no, not one. And if that's the case, that all of us are sinners and none of us are righteous and nothing, none of us can give anything to God, then Romans says, the wages of sin is death. It's death. It's death. We went all the way back to Genesis 1 and said how good God is. And Genesis 3 goes, listen, this, a problem happened. We took God's good plan and we fractured it. And as a result of it, it fractured everything. I remember my friend Suresh, he's in India. He's the, he's the pre- president of Harvest India. And during COVID, these people are just in India were dying like Crazy. Crazy. And we are on a Zoom call with him, and he's, he's a very strong man. This man's a bishop. He has planted 1,000, 1,500 churches in India. I mean, he is on the governing board for uh, Christian, Christianity as far as India is concerned. He's a high-level leader, and he starts weeping, weeping on this. And he says this, 800 people an hour are dying in my country. God is coming up against my country because of their sin. He was weeping because he was watching an entire nation turn their back on God. And he was like, God is a just God. And it was breaking his heart. He was overwhelmed at the sin of his nation turning their back and they were dying left and right because he understands the weight of sin. I wonder if you do. I wonder if you understand the weight of sin. If you understand Noah's ark, the sin got so bad that God sent a flood. He rescued field and he destroyed many. And we struggle with that, right? Because we don't like that. That doesn't fit in our box, but it's to help us come to understand how heavy and divisive sin really is. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Listen to that. 
in which you were formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power to the air, Satan, and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among them who were too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of our flesh and in our mind, and were natures of the children of wrath, even rest. And the question is, do you really know what sin is? It's a transgression. You know, a better way to say it would be this. It's a thought, any thought, deed, word, attitude, action that goes against God's perfection. And if we were to stand in a court before a holy God, he would say, guilty. Just like this woman, guilty. Just like these people who think they're religious and they got it all figured out and they have all the rules and they have all the boxes, guilty, all are guilty. But I want you to see this next part. What does Jesus do in the presence of someone who deserves death? Who deserves this, this price to be paid for a sin? Verse 9, chapter 8. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Pause. None of them could say that they hadn't sinned. And Jesus had just called out their religiosity. And then secondarily, verse 10, Jesus stood up. And I want you to see him. Like, look, look. I want you to see Jesus' posture. I want you to see that Jesus stood up and he said to her, Woman, where are they? Where are the people who condemned you? Where are the people who pointed their fingers in your chest and told, called you a sinner? Where are they? They've left. Has no one condemned you? Go sin no more. Go sin no more. Grace, mercy, forgiveness. And like the woman at the well, she leaves forgiven. See, uh, uh, N.T. Wright has this beautiful thing, and I think it's really important to understand. It says this, forgiveness is not the same as tolerance. Tolerance is a really catchy word in your culture right now. Tolerance. Forgiveness is not the same thing as tolerance. Being forgiven doesn't mean that sin doesn't matter. On the contrary, this is so important. On the contrary, forgiveness means that sin does matter. But God is choosing to set it aside. God is choosing to step in and intercede on this woman's behalf and yours as well. The question is, will you be able to go? I'm a sinner in needing of saving. I used to work construction uh, when I lived in Arizona. When we first moved down, um, I, worked I worked as a, uh, a foreman for a construction crew. I was a dry utilities foreman. It just basically means all your sewer lines, I put all that stuff in. So one night, I had a work truck. One night, I was driving, driving home. And that morning, crazy enough, I had just bought a brand new pocket knife. Brand new, bought a pocket knife. We used it all the time for things that we did. So I bought a brand new pocket knife because my other one had gotten super dull, so I got bought a new one. So I'm driving home. It's late at night. I'm driving from Casa Grande to Maricopa. We lived in Maricopa. And in, from, in that connection, uh, it was a, probably a 30-minute drive. And it was just it, pure desert driving. There's no lights. There's no nothing. It's a two-lane highway. It's pure black. It's pure desert on both sides. So driving down the highway, 
and I see a car in front of me. And again, if you see a car in front of you, you'll notice it because it's pitch black out. And so I see the red lights. And so I'm driving behind it. It's, I don't know, maybe a quarter mile in front of me. All of a sudden I see those lights fly up in the air. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I think they got in an accident. So I drive up, I pull off to the side and this, this, this like uh, minivan had hit a guardrail and had flipped upside down. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I got out of my car. It was pretty cold out. I got out of my car and I leaned down and this guy is upside down in the car. There's, there's uh, 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 fluids everywhere. And I'm like, I gotta, I gotta do something about it. And this guy is upside down and the seatbelt is wrapped around his neck and he's, and he's choking and he's bleeding profusely. And so I'm like, I gotta do something. And so I called 911, I said, you gotta get over here. And, and I'm like, I gotta do something. So I was like, I just bought a pocket knife. And so I ran back to my truck, I grabbed this pocket knife and I, I cut the seatbelt. And as I cut it, I grabbed him and I'm pulling him out of the window like this. And he's bleeding everywhere. So I start wrapping my coat around his bandages to stop the blood while I wait for the ambulance to show up. So then it was like the ambulance show up, cars are pulling all around. And I'm just like holding this guy. And then they bring in a helicopter. I mean, it was like a, a whole scene. And then th everyone just went away. And I was like driving on my way home going, what just happened? And I started to think about this. That guy didn't wake up that morning thinking he needed to be saved that he would need saving, but he did. And I wonder for some of you tonight that you realize finally that you're a sinner in need of saving. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can stand in between and intercede on your behalf before a holy God. And, be, and say forgiven. But you have to come to a place where you understand that you are sinful, deserving of the wrath of God, that the wages of sin is death, but also this other part, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So tonight, here, here's what I'd like you to think about. Maybe you put yourself in that vehicle and you're upside down and you realize I need saving. Some of you got some stuff going on in your life and you keep pretending. Here's the thing. God knows it and you do too. Some of you are faking it real hard. You come to Christian camp, you go to a youth group and you play your Christian show, you put on a show, you put on a, a play and pretend. I have the permission of my son to tell this story, but last summer he just went off the rails. Off the rails. And he's going to youth group. You know, here's my son who say, you know, he, he's been saved, he's, he's been in our home, we've raised him, he's made it through cancer, God rescued him and, and healed him through cancer, and he starts going off the rails, well, he's going to youth group, and everybody loves, loves my son, and so they're like, oh man, tell your testimony, so Cooper's getting up in front of all these kids, proclaiming how great God is, meanwhile, just being a hypocrite, and so I called his youth pastor, and I said, hey, I just want to let you know, Cooper's a faker, and Gokies don't fake. He's playing a game with you. And then I went home and I said, hey, Cooper, I called your youth pastor and I said that you were faking it. He was like, what? Why did you do that? I said, because we don't fake in this home. 
If you want to love Jesus, love Jesus. If you want to go live like sin, then go make that decision. But don't play a game. And I think for a lot of you in here, you're playing a game. You want all the benefits of what it is to follow Jesus, but you don't want to follow him. That's sin. And when you finally come to understand I'm a sinner in need of grace, I repent. You know what repentance means? It means I was going in this direction. It's a military term. Repentance, and I turn. And I follow Jesus. I follow after him. I lean into his grace and his mercies that covers a multitude of sin. Stop faking it. And some of you are like, I feel this woman. Like, I feel like that. I feel dirty. And nobody really knows what's going on in my life, but I don't feel like God could ever love me. Look at this story. Look at how Jesus deals with people that everybody pushes on the outskirts, that everybody says isn't good enough, isn't Christian enough, isn't clean enough. What does Jesus do? Hey, where do they all go? It's just you and me here. And I forgive you. Receive his grace and his mercy that covers a multitude of sins. But you've got to recognize, I am a sinner and I need saving. Amen? Amen. Now, here's the thing. And I, I want to be real careful about this, but I also don't want to just walk away from this. I know this is not an easy talk. But I think we've all gotten pretty used to feel-good messages. Don't you agree? Everybody coming up going, look, it all works out. Everything's fine. And I think you guys are on to us. I think you guys are on to us just continuing to, to pitch you stuff without telling you the real truth. So I'm telling you the real truth. Sin is bad. Sin is crushing students left and right. Sin is corrupting students left and right. And we have to get honest about it. We have to get real about it. We have to talk about it. Stop faking it. Stop staying quiet and be honest. And you know what? I'd call your leaders out too. Let them be honest about their stuff. Because I told you my, some of my stuff. I'm in counseling. I'm getting help. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. And thank goodness that we have Jesus or I'm in a bad spot. Thank goodness for grace and mercy, we're in a bad spot. We all just need to get honest with one another and talk about what's going on and stop faking and stop pretending because it's getting kind of old, wouldn't you agree? Let's just be honest with one another. Let's actually talk through this stuff and work through it. So my thing tonight is this. Go talk to somebody about some stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like just be honest with one another. I promise you what you will receive is a very much, I believe, a reaction that Jesus had. Hey, there's no condemnation against you. You are loved. And let us walk you through a process of restoration. Amen? Amen? Let me pray. Let me pray. Lord, this, this is hard, man. This is hard, Lord. I want to give all the resolve. I want it to like just make it easy. And, and you don't allow us to do that. You, you, you make us confront our sin. How else, will we, how else will we know how wonderful you are? How else will we know how beautiful you are, how holy you are, if we don't see ourselves as sinful? I'm 
I've struggled with this for my life, Lord, and you have been so patient with me. Thank you that you've revealed my sin. Thank you that you love me and you see me and you know me. Thank you that you surrounded me with a bunch of people who call me out on my stuff. Thank you that you are so forgiving. Father, I pray tonight through your spirit that you would awaken these students to their sin. Awaken them to their need of you. I pray that tonight would not go by without them just confessing what is going on in their life and so they can stop hiding, so a lot of them can stop faking it. I pray for those students who feel like sinners, feel like they don't fit in, they don't matter. I pray that they would see how known they are by you, that you just lean into them and you go, hey, let's, let's hush the crowd. It's just you and me and I love you and I forgive you. God, would you do that for them tonight as well? We love you, Father God. You are so glorious. You are so wonderful. You are so high and lifted up. And you have given us this sacred moment together to learn and to glorify you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.